Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, in our gospel reading today, we find a showdown of sorts, a challenge from the religious leaders to Jesus's authority. And, and that's not entirely surprising, since throughout the Gospels we see this happen time and time again. There are no shortage of confrontations between the religious leaders and Jesus. But the thing that's going to be important for us to note here is that is when this particular conflict is occurring. You see, all of this is taking place on Monday of Holy Week. If you, op- if you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to open up to Matthew 21. And you'll see that that where this occurs in the gospel reading, the the day before this, Jesus had had just entered into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. He was greeted by the crowds who were waving branches, people shouting Hosanna to the son of David. Jesus then goes in to the temple and he clears it of, of the money changers. He clears the temple of those who would profane the house of God. And then Jesus goes on to heal the blind and the lame people. Think about what a day that was. It was quite a day. Now the religious leaders were watching all of this and to say that they were displeased with all that they saw, everything that took place, well that would be an understatement. And their opposition to Jesus, which was already pretty high, was about to reach a fevered pitch in just a matter of days as they were going to arrest and crucify Jesus. So all of this then is the context for what we hear in our gospel reading. The chief priests and the elders coming to Jesus while he was teaching on that Monday in the temple, interrupting him, demanding to know by what authority he did everything that they had just witnessed him do. So Jesus tells them, I am willing to answer your question if you are willing to answer mine. What question do you think Jesus is going to ask them? They must have been wondering the same thing. But I don't think they would have expected Jesus to ask them about John the Baptist. The baptism of John, Jesus says, from where did it come? From heaven or from man? Now, why was Jesus asking them about John the baptizer And what did that question have to do with the question about Jesus' authority? Well, as we'll soon find out, it has everything to do with Jesus' authority. You see, the chief priests and the elders, they, they couldn't answer Jesus. And not because they didn't know their answer, they did. No, it was because they had already rejected the ministry of John and refused to believe in what he said. John the baptizer was that prophesied voice in the wilderness. He was sent to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. And John's message was a message of repentance and baptism, that Israel needed to repent of their sins so that they could be forgiven when the promised Messiah came. And so when Jesus entered the scene, it was John who pointed to Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But the religious leaders rejected John's message. They refused to repent of their sin because, quite frankly, they didn't feel that they had any sin to repent of. And since they rejected John, they most certainly rejected Jesus as well. But but here's the catch. They weren't willing to admit that in public because the people regarded John as a prophet from God. 
So they couldn't say that John wasn't from God. And on the flip side, they, if they admitted that he was from heaven, well, then they were admitting that they had rejected one of God's prophets. So they were stuck. And that's why in the end, they took the coward's way out. And they said to Jesus, we don't know, which was a lie. But it was why Jesus said back to them that he refuses to answer them. It's not like Jesus, and it's not like during all of this, Jesus didn't know what they were going to say. It's not that he didn't know what they thought or believed. He knew that they had rejected John, and, and he knew that they had rejected him. And that's his point. You can't have Jesus without John, and you can't have John without Jesus. Jesus was just making it absolutely clear to them and to others what their position on both were. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes on to tell the parable of the two sons. A man had a vineyard, and he asked his two sons to go work in that vineyard, and the first son said, I will not. But then he afterwards, he changed his mind and went. Now, I want you to notice something here in verse 29. The word in the Greek, therefore, changed his mind. It's a word in Greek that is a synonym for repentance. The first son literally repented of what he had told his father, and he went and worked in his father's vineyard. The second son, on the other hand, initially tells his father, I go, sir, but he does not go, and he does not repent. And so Jesus goes on to ask the religious leaders, which of the two did the will of his father? And they said, the first, the one who repented, which was a stunning confession for the religious leaders to make when you think about it, because they had to have known that Jesus was telling this parable about them. You see, the connection is clear. The second son represented the religious leaders who were claiming that they were the keepers of God's word, but they ultimately failed to listen or obey. They refused to repent they refused to acknowledge their sin. They refused to admit that they needed saving, that they needed a Messiah. The first son, on the other hand, represents the tax collectors and the, and the prostitutes, the ones who were considered the clear and obvious sinners of the day, the supposed non-keepers of God's word. But they were the ones who ended up receiving the word of God when they listened to John and listened to Jesus and received it in humility. And these so-called worst of sinners who listened to the call of their heavenly father repented of their sins and found themselves welcomed into the kingdom, welcomed into his gracious reign and rule. Jesus said to the religious leaders, truly, I say to you, the tax collectors and prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And what Jesus is saying is that John's purpose, John's message was to announce how we are made right in God's eyes. And that only comes by proclamation of the law, which convicts us of our sins and leads us to repentance. We turn from our sin and we see that we cannot save ourselves from our own effort. And once we turn, once we repent and ask God to forgive us because we realize we cannot save ourselves, then God is at the ready with his gospel. 
the good news that he has given us his son, Jesus. Jesus, who saves us from our sins by his death on the cross, he forgives us and gives us the righteousness that Jesus earned by his perfect life, death, and resurrection. And so you see, John and Jesus, they go together because they together are the two messages of God, the messages of law and of gospel. And Jesus said to the religious leaders, even when you saw it, even when you yourselves heard the message of John, even when you saw the tax collectors and prostitutes repenting of their sin and receiving God's forgiveness through baptism, you afterwards did not change your minds and believe him. And there's that word again. Change your minds. Repent. The religious leaders did not repent. The second son in the parable did not repent and go into the vineyard like his father invited him to do. The chief priests and the elders did not repent and go into the kingdom like their heavenly father invited them to do. Instead, they rejected John. They rejected the law. And so they rejected Jesus and they rejected the gospel. And again, that rejection was about to be on full display for all the world to see as in only a matter of days they would be nailing Jesus to the cross. So we ask ourselves today, what then is the message for us? Well, we need to always be careful when we hear a passage like this, when Jesus is speaking first and foremost to the religious leaders, because, because we acknowledge that his message and this parable, its message is not immediately directed toward us, at least not at first. This is Jesus, again, speaking to the chief priests and the elders who were staking their entire existence on the fact that they were the rightful descendants of Abraham and therefore <clears throat> the rightful children of God. They thought they were made right, made righteous because of who they were and what they did. But Jesus was condemning them making it clear that their so-called status meant nothing in his eyes, and that true children of God were children of faith. Faith to believe God when he brings us his, his law, and, and which condemns our faith and leads us, excuse me, condemns our sin and leads us to, to faith to believe in him and his forgiveness, as well as believe in God, faith in God, when he offers us the free gift of forgiveness and life, when he offers us the gospel. So strictly speaking, again, historically speaking, we are not those whom Jesus was condemning that day. And yet, in a different sense, we are still people who have heard God's call to repentance, like he began with John, and God's call to the gospel. And we hear it every time we're in church. We hear it every time we read or hear God's word. We know the way of righteousness, as Jesus says in verse 32, that to be made right with God is not on account of our good deeds or actions, but on account of Christ and his perfect deeds and his perfect actions. And yet we know this message of law and gospel we know that when we hear this message of law and gospel and by the, faith, by the faith that we have been given, at times we can still sinfully react against it. We may still at times, because of our sinful nature, not always react and respond to God's word the way that we are supposed to. And so this is what I'd like us to consider sometime, uh, spend some time considering this morning, asking ourselves, how is it 
that we react to God's word, especially when we are called to repent of our sins, when we are made aware of our own personal transgressions against God and against others. After all, it's not like being made aware of your sin is a pleasant experience. Can you think of a time when either hearing God's word or maybe talking with someone else or someone speaking with you, that you were made aware of a sin that you committed? And think then, how did you feel when you were made aware of that? How did you react? Sometimes even when this is done in the most loving and careful way by someone who loves us or who we know wants what's best for us, our sinful inclination is to react against it. We may get offended. We may get defensive. We may say that that person has no right to judge me or or no right to say anything to me. In the end, we may end up reacting like that first son reacted, which was his initial reaction was that to hear what God has to say and say no. I'm supposed to honor, serve, and obey, love, and cherish all authorities that God has placed in my life? Well, you haven't met my boss, Lord, or try living with my parents, or you don't know this governmental leader. I'm supposed to honor God's gift of marriage, whether I'm single, married, or widowed, by leading a pure and decent life in thought, word, and deed? I'm not even comfortable with Jesus going there. I'm supposed to love my enemy and pray for those who hurt me? That's not what Jesus really means, is it? I'm supposed to be content with what I have and never want what my neighbor has? But God, I deserve more. And anyway, that's not fair. I'm supposed to not let the sun go down on my anger and forgive those who trespass against me? But God, you just don't understand who I have to deal with on a daily basis. I'm supposed to honor and cherish opportunity, every opportunity I have to hear and receive God's word and sacrament in church? Well, I'm pretty busy, and I don't make my work schedule and, and my sports schedule, so I'll get to it when I can. So often, again, like that first son, our initial reaction to God's word says a lot about what's in our hearts. Of course, it's also true that at other times, we may find ourselves reacting more like the second son. We may listen to what God has to say, understand what he's saying, and even make a good showing of it for God, for others, maybe even ourselves, that we want everyone to think that we're, of course, in full agreement with what God says. And yet later on, when the rubber meets the road, we end up refusing to repent of our sins or allow anything in our lives to actually change. So you see, I think what Jesus is leading us to consider in today's gospel is how we, at times, and in various ways, respond to God's word. Sometimes we're like the first son, and other times we may be like the second. And this then leads us to realize the most important point of the whole parable. The most important point of the whole parable is this that neither son was actually better than the other because both sons failed. In order to follow their father's will without sin, 
The sons needed to do two things, to respect the authority of their father and speak well in response to him, and then second, to obey their father and go and do the thing they were asked to do. For instance, if you were to ask me as a father to try and choose which of these two things is more important for my children to do, either saying they'll do something and not rejecting me completely, or actually doing the thing that I said that they should do, well, I couldn't choose between the two because both are necessary. And failure to do either one is unacceptable and sinful. Now that said, there in the end is a difference between the two sons, but it doesn't come from their ability to obey because again, both sinned. Instead, and this is key, the difference between the two sons is in their willingness to repent, to admit that they messed up and that they need their father's forgiveness. And so you see, regardless how we at times may sinfully respond to God's word, whether we fail in either word or deed or sometimes both, we also need to repent, to ask for forgiveness. Martin Luther's first theses in his famous 95 Theses Uh, He understood this reality, and he wrote, When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, Repent, he intended that the entire life of a believer be that of one of repentance. The question then is, how does God treat repentant sinners? What does God do when we ask for forgiveness? Well, I know you've heard these words before. You might recognize them from 1 John They're also part of one of our liturgies. It says this, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, that's what the Father does. That's what the Father wants to do, to forgive, to forgive you. And it began on the day when you were baptized, when the Holy Spirit came to you and delivered the faith to believe in your Savior, Jesus Christ. And ever since that day, the Holy Spirit has been assuring you of your Father's forgiveness and reminds you every day of your identity as a baptized child of God and of all that Jesus has done for you. He doesn't try to convince you that you are the perfect son. Nor does he try to convince you that you need to be the perfect son. No, the Holy Spirit is assuring you that Jesus is the perfect son for you. And that he did everything that he knew that you and I could never do. You have been given the free gift of forgiveness and life because of Jesus. Just imagine for a moment the feeling that the tax collectors must have had, the prostitutes, the sinners, those who knew they were the worst of the worst. Imagine the feeling they had when they heard the words that God forgave them all of their sins and that they were being welcomed into God's kingdom, the freedom they must have felt, the hope for the first time in their lives that they knew they had. This is the way of the first son, the son who repents. And this is the same freedom and joy that you have and that you are given once again every time you come before your heavenly father, repenting of all your sin 
receiving his forgiveness. There will never be a day this side of eternity when we don't need to repent of our sin. But there will also never be a day this side of eternity when your heavenly Father doesn't forgive you through his Son, Jesus Christ. And as great of sinners as we might be, Jesus is always an even greater Savior. And because of him, God welcomes you, his forgiven sons and daughters, into his kingdom, into his gracious reign and rule, with arms wide open. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.